May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. For the love of God is this, that we obey his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome, writes John in his letter to his young church community. His commandments are not burdensome. Yet, as N.T. Wright points out, any talk of commandments can be a hard sell in a world where anybody telling anyone else what to do, even God telling his creatures what to do, is felt as an imposition, a belittling or patronizing attempt to keep people down. For the most part, ours is an age in which we'd rather not have rules, binding commandments, laws, and the such. Guidelines, maybe strong suggestions, are about as far as most of us want to go, particularly when it comes to matters religious and spiritual. Even in secular legal matters, we tend to be most convinced that laws are really most necessary for those troublesome others, not us. As for me and my house, we don't really need to get a building permit for this renovation, do we? And what's a little shared software between friends? Yet, John seems pretty clear that there are commandments of God to be obeyed. And that to be redeemed by the grace of God isn't the same thing as being handed a free pass to do and be whatever I damned well feel like doing and being. No, this business of actually obeying the commandments of God is crucial for John. By this we know that we love the children of God, he writes, when we love God and obey his commandments. But what is it that John's referring to when he keeps writing of the commandments of God? I mean, is he attempting to drive his little young church community back to a thoroughgoing observance of the law, of the Torah? No, at least not in a narrow sense. The Greek word for law is nomu. That's Torah, nomu. While here the word John uses is entole, which can be translated as commandment, direction, or precept. The two terms are not unrelated, though in John's letters the emphasis is not on the laws of Torah as being constitutive of a good or righteous or holy life but rather on two overlapping concerns of Jesus. Belief in Jesus as the Son of God and love for one another. And this is his commandment, John writes in the third chapter of this epistle, that we should believe in the name of Jesus and love one another just as he has commanded us. So two things are at the heart of the commandments of God, as far as John understands them. Now, it must be added that in the tradition of John's letters and his gospel, as is the case in the, the other three gospels, there is also a deep conviction 
that love of God is of a peace with love of neighbor, and that this emphasis is itself deeply rooted in the Hebrew Scriptures. The unique contribution of the Gospel according to John is that this claim is placed on the church community in a very specific way. It begins to be unfolded for the disciples and so also for John's little church community and so also for us. It begins to be unfolded in the 13th chapter of the Gospel when Jesus says to them, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you should also love one another. It's then extended and deepened in the passage which we heard read aloud tonight. Jesus says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be complete. And this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No shying away from commandment language here as Jesus reiterates the new commandment to love one another as we have been loved. In what might seem like a bit of circular reasoning, the claim is made that to love God is to keep the commandments. And at their core, the commandments are a call to love. And so one kind of cycles into the other, commandment reciprocated by love, which is in fact the response to the commandment. But lest we think that this has taken the whole tradition of the law and the prophets and reduced it to something kind of soft and doughy, the ancient world's version of that old Beatles song in which they sing, It's easy. All you need is love. All you need is love. All you need is love. Love. Love is all you need. Here a new angle is added. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. To lay down one's life for one's friends. It's easy? Maybe not, or not in the way that Lennon and McCartney were singing. This teaching is set on the night of Jesus' arrest, as he shares his last meal with his followers, meaning that the air in that place is thick with the cost of a life being offered for the sake of others, for the sake of friends. And yet the truly remarkable teaching is what follows as Jesus says to them, You are my friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Now, two things. First of all, if it sounds as if Jesus is making his friendship conditional, if it sounds as if the phrase, if you do what I command you, is a bit like a piece of playground banter, I'll be your friend if you share your candy, remember, his new commandment is that they love one another just as he has loved them. It's not a piece of relational bribery, but rather a descriptive call 
to a deep mutuality. And secondly, that Jesus is calling them his friends would have been all but unthinkable in that ancient context. He was their rabbi and their master. They were his students, his disciples. And for all that there could well be a real warmth in the relationship between master and student, a clear distinction in status would have remained in place. And yet here in John's telling, Jesus says very clearly to them, I have called you my friends. Now it's often observed that the modern age has a very thin concept of friendship. And that's not entirely the fault of Facebook either. Though I wish the label on Facebook were something a little bit more neutral, like contact, rather than friend. No, Facebook simply reflects the thinness of our modern appreciation of friendship, which the philosopher Cicero ranked as an eternal virtue, and which the medieval mystic and theologian Allred of Riveau saw as a foretaste of eternity in God. Real friendships, he thought, actually gave us a hint of what life enveloped in God was to be like. We think of friendship as a casual thing, a half-step beyond a simple acquaintance. The ancients saw it as the highest of all human relationships. And in that light, listen to these words. I do not call you servants any longer, because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my Father. What he's saying to them is, you've been elevated to a new status, or perhaps better, matters of status between them and amongst them have been simply wiped away. I have trusted you and trusted you with everything I know, he says to them. And my life is being laid down for you. It was being laid down for them right then as he was speaking with them. It's all different now, he says. Be that difference for each other. Be that mutual friendship, that kind of relationship for each other. Willing to lay down your lives, in fact. And so the selflessness of agape love rolls into the virtue of friendship. And a new people is birthed. The body of Christ, the church, the community of disciples. It's a high calling, actually. I mean, it's a brilliant vision, but it's also a high calling. And I hardly have to tell you that in reality, much of the story of the church has been a grand adventure in missing that point. I mean, the story of the ways that the church has failed to build itself in that way, or even within congregations, the, the endless stories of hurt or of alienation or of being lost in the shuffle, I mean, it just, it's heartbreaking, right? Yet there have been equally grand exceptions 
to that. And those countless moments when we do catch the rumors of glory that arise whenever the gospel is proclaimed. And the love of which, of which Jesus spoke is extended, received, and exchanged. But people and structures being what they are, time and again, we will need to hear Jesus utter his new commandment and extend to us his friendship again. Time and again we'll need to hear these things, examine our own lives and patterns and assumptions, and take a hard look at how we structure the life of our community. And time and again we might just hear a rumor of glory and become that new people willing to be that difference for each other, one for another. If on some days that seems a long way off, about as idealistic as all you need is love. It's easy, they sing. If it seems like an idealized long shot, remember this. We are, after all, a death-resurrection people. And we lie now on the other side of the cross of that great death. And on this side of that cross... All things become possible, even that which seem like idealized long shots. It is Eastertide after all. Beloved, love one another as we were first loved, and be friends in the deepest sense as we have been befriended. Alleluia, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia, amen.